0: This episode of The Sleeper in the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what if scenarios. Tournaments, Fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real time presentation and game highlights, improved player morale and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, Indie Sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, Just go to otpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I am obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP 17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash PSPOR24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there. Uh letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um for streams yet but i'm going to and i'm actually just gonna gonna start over i i I won the world series that first year with the with the 17 team but i'm gonna start a new one we'll do the draft at some point soon so stay tuned for that but out of the park is is just so much fun you've heard me talk about uh other baseball video games i like it, they're they're two different experiences this is the sim in-depth management sort of deal and then the other game is, is playing so I absolutely love this game one last time OOTPdevelopments.com. sleeper 18 is your discount code uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well if you do play the game let me know let me know what you're doing with it let me know what uh, what team you're going with whether you're starting historically or going from now uh, if you do the fantasy draft hit me up on twitter at spora. i love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out a hundred percent to history things can change and you can have guys, you know, you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you. So I, I love seeing that stuff. Definitely hit me up there. Um, and, and, and thanks for supporting the show by, by going to dot com. Welcome to episode 472 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, June 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going?
1: It is going good. I'm going to be down in San Diego uh, and L.A. Uh, starting this. Is it my, my birthday on Saturday? Whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait. Buried the lead?
0: No, no that's fantastic. Happy uh-huh. early birthday. We, we talked about that. Uh-huh. This Saturday, you're going to be in San Diego. Yeah. I'm going to be in San Diego this Saturday.
1: Oh.
0: I'm going there tomorrow.
1: I get in a little bit late.
0: I get in there very late tomorrow. And you get in there late Saturday? Yeah. And then so the I'm going on to the Sunday Tigers game.
1: And when you are gone
0: I leave Sunday night.
1: Oh, well. Well, we'll see, we'll see. We've hung
0: out before. Don't. Yeah, well,
1: we'll we'll see. But um that's cool you're going to be at the Tigers game. I'm going to uh, probably go catch a Braves game while down there, and then Sunday I'm going to a music festival in LA, and, uh, that Friday the 30th, the Junior Boys, October has a show with the Junior Boys in, uh, at the Globe Theater that I will be at, so. Oh, sweet. You know, a little LA, San Diego jaunt. It'd yeah. Be the hardest thing to do when you're traveling is to keep doing, uh, the stuff you're supposed to do. Your work. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Everyone... You know, it talks about our jobs, and don't get me wrong. We both enjoy our jobs and, like, the flexibility that they offer. But it is hard to just take off, too, right? Like, people who do work the 9 to 5 or whatever, they have the time off. They can just say, hey, I'm off for a week. I'm off yeah, for two here's weeks. my
1: out of office. I don't, we don't yeah. have out of office. <laughs> exactly. In the summer,
0: we can't just be like, hey, yo, Appleman, <laughs> do something with the site, dog. I'll be back. So again, not complaining, not complaining, just explaining the differences. Especially with
1: October, because I'm 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 the only editor at October, so it's like you 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 with RotoGraph Square, you know, can't just say deuces. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah,
0: uh, Justin Mason's going to cover my Roto write ups. Jason and I are actually recording tonight to to cover that, and then that that will post on Saturday. So I'll be good to go. Um, I'm very excited. San Diego should be a lot of fun. Going to just be a quick 48 hour jaunt, see some tigers, hang out. You and Jason should do,
1: like, a, a pitching uh, podcast where you only talk about pitchers that won't pitch between, you know, Thursday and Friday. <laughs> e- exactly. Because, like, th-
0: that's the thing. You, you
1: know we're going to talk about
0: somebody that pitches here in the next couple of days and say, go pick him up, dude. He's a stud. And then he's going to break. get bombed like home. Han. Yeah. He's just going to get murdered like Han. Sonny <laughs> Gra- Man, it, are we at a point? You bring up Han here. Quick, quick detour before we get into the show. Are we at a point where you can't start guys? Uh, that aren't aces like ace, ace, ace a- against
1: Houston. Yeah, Houston is, is a difficult, is a difficult situation. I, you know, I try to um, to avoid Houston, and you know, or stream or not stream, but I target the Cardinals. You know, the Mets. Um, you know, national teams in the general, Padres. the Braves. Uh, except, you know, at home they can they can put a little damage on you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Nationals and the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Astros are the teams that uh, put the fear of God in me. You know, the Blue Jays should, and the Orioles in Baltimore, but the Blue Jays are not, I think, as hard to, to pitch to, especially with Donaldson, again, on the schneid with the knee, the knee thing. Absolutely. And um, just the way that they've played over the Travis season. And the work, Orioles man. away from home aren't as scary with Trumbo not being quite the same and Davis being hurt. So Honestly, at this
0: point, I go, I go to our, our team offensive page. I sort by homers, and I start at the bottom when I'm trying to look for a streamer because the homers just kill the starts so quickly these days. So Giants, Phillies, Pirates. The Red Sox only have 70 homers, the fourth lowest. They're not as imposing of an offense, particularly on the road. Um, the White Sox kind of hit and miss. Maybe you don't want to use them.
1: The one thing about the Red Sox, though, is that they make a lot of contact. That's true, and uh, they can sort of babb at you a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I guess they they're not they're not so scary. Uh, they just they they showed up in a in a thing that I did about the Astros and fastballs, and they they can they can do some damage on the high fastball. They just don't. Um, Their
0: strikeout rate is second
1: lowest, to only the Astros.
0: So that's yeah. a good point there. Um, I'm just saying that's where I start though with homers. Oh, runs the Angels! I do
1: like to. You know, it's, it's a good point. Troutless. I name. mean, homers really, really kill you unless you're just Justin Verlander, and then you strike out 12 guys in six innings, and your defense just like literally just up and fell down. Just falls down. Let's let's get to our question today
0: because it, go, <laughs> it goes around that particular outing. And I'll just ask you flat out, what did you think of the bunt? Five and two thirds, perfect. Four nothing game. Gerard Dyson. Uh, makes a perfect bunt to break up, you know the perfecto. Some saying you don't even talk about a perfect game until you're at least through six, let alone five plus. How'd you feel
1: about it when you saw it? I don't care. Yeah, you know, if it if it was like a ten nothing no hitter, uh, then I guess you'd lay down and die or whatever. But this In the is the a... seventh inning or something at ten nothing. No, I. Uh, I'm it's with you, four man. nothing, man. If he gets on base and someone hits a home run, you know, the lead is cut in half. Well, look at the the results,
0: of course, make it easy to say that it was a great bunt, too, because it did kind of create a chain reaction of a meltdown uh, for the team, and then the the Mariners won. But, like, you know, I tweeted out immediately, you know, bunt cheese, and I was, you know, being emotional fan guy because I'm a huge Justin Verlander and Tigers fan. (laughs) And I even said, though, I said, yeah, the emotional part, I'm like, F that guy. The logical part is a hundred percent, yes, dude. That's a huge part of his game. I feel like Gerard Dyson might yeah, think, of all "Hey, people man, too." Gerard
1: Dyson. That, that's the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, this was
0: not this was not Robinson Cano doing it. You know, this was not some big bruiser doing it. This was this is Gerard Dyson's game. I think he might know too, from his you know facing Gerard, uh, Justin Verlander for years that Justin Verlander might get tilted by something like that. Now, I will say to Verlander's credit. He didn't say one sideways word about it uh, in the postgame. He said, "Absolutely, man, totally get it, dude's dude's a legit bunter, four nothing game, I get it." So I respect Justin for not. He could have easily gone that route and gotten plenty of support, maybe not universal support, but I think he could have gotten support and it would have been cheap because I think when you really step back, it was the right move. So yeah. kudos to draw Dyson, but also fell, go and, to hell.
1: And then it fell apart afterwards. But it was, I was watching that and it just it didn't feel. Like I think Verlander's a good buy though, I still I still think it. I think the strikeouts are there. I know he's upset with like everybody else about the juice ball. I think I was talking about a team, uh, you know, pulling pulling me aside and making me recite uh, juice ball research. Did I talk about that on the podcast?
0: <laughs> yes. And I well, mean, that we that talked,
1: was Justin Verlander because we talked about I, it
0: on stream too. I can. Uh, oh, we that's right.
1: I, I I well. I told everybody on stream that it was Justin Verlander, yeah, but yeah. here we but were a little here, bit more. Uh, I didn't want to say it because I he hadn't really he hadn't really told me it wasn't in the context of an interview, and he hadn't really told me that I could that I could talk about it, write about it, and it wasn't. It seemed like something happening in the in the in the clubhouse rather than a story than a story certainly. I could write. But he just recently came out and did like an interview with someone where he's like, "Who's talking about this? Did you read about the the ball?" So exactly, much has
0: changed. With <laughs> saying I posted a clip yesterday of of the uh, Yankees announcers talking about how Masahiro Tanaka said the same. He said, "You know, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm struggling. I get it, but I definitely feel that the ball is different. They're, yeah. They're even simple, like."
1: And if, if there's anybody who would know anything about the feel of a ball, like you know, to for Justin Verlander to say that the ball feels different, he hasn't felt a non-major league American baseball for how long? Twelve years. Yeah. And even when he, even when you rehab and you're a veteran like that, you go down. They bring you balls. They actually rub oh, really? you major league balls. Yeah.
0: Oh, I did not know that. That's an interesting. Yeah, thing
1: your there. major league club he sends you. A uh, your major league clubby sends you something, so you know uh, for him. But you know who does have um, for the for the person who does have a, a, a ability to talk about this a little bit is Masahiro Tanaka because he pitched with a different ball in in Japan, and the Japanese pitchers have told me that the seams feel different in America, and that they. Were at least higher here, and that their split fingers got more movement here than they did in Japan because of the the higher seams. Now we find out that this new ball has lower seams. I mean, that's the real crux of the of the research that came out from Ben Lindbergh was the seam height was different. Exactly. And if the if the seams are lower, Masahiro Tanaka's lost drop on his split finger, you know, there's that's a, a an area for concern. Now, there could still be some regression in Masahiro Tanaka in that everyone's dealing with the same issue. And, you know, maybe he's dealing with it more because he throws a split finger. But in any case, everyone's sort of dealing with the same issue. So he could still regress to, you know, 1.3 homers per nine or 1.2 homers per nine, whatever. Well, look at Mike Fires, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about him.
0: So I'm actually pulling an Eno here and (laughs) and, and trumping a guy that we're talking about. But, you know, he was giving up. Three homers per nine for his first seven starts, and and you know he figured it out a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about what was behind that, but maybe it's just something where Tanaka acknowledges that there's differences here, and now he's figuring out how to work with that, with with that different baseball. And so I, I think we are going to see, hopefully, see some of these guys that are struggling that that are are much better than their numbers suggest. Uh, hopefully we start to see them find some results based on their adjustments to this ball because, you know, you're talking about Verlander saying the ball's got an issue as well. His walk rate is at a career high 11%. He's never been anywhere near that. Uh, well, actually, I guess he was one year. T- 2008, he had a 9.9 rate. But uh, for the most part, he lives in the 6 to 7% range, and he's up at 11%. And I wonder if the feel of the ball is contributing to that. So um, it's definitely something that we're, we're seeing more and more talked about. You know, you were on this early, man. You were on this early, and you said it was a juiced ball, and uh, you asked Manfred about it, and he lied to your face. Actually, I'm just kidding on that, because I don't think <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory so much of, like, let's change the ball. I think something just happened in manufacturing that has changed the ball, and that's where we're at.
1: Yeah, no. it is It is interesting, because all along I've said that I don't really believe in conspiracy theories, and the reason I, I kind of talked about it a little bit in my chat today, it's, it's kind of funny. So... For it to, for a conspiracy theory to happen, you have to get a large group of people to keep a secret, right? Exactly. So, you know, 9-11 was an inside job, any of that stuff. You've got, especially for nine you've got hundreds, thousands of people who would have to know about it. And no one would say anything. Or uh, let's say... Let's say let's be like really conservative and I like pushed the, the number down. Let's what the minimum number that would have to know about something like that. It would be at least fifty or a hundred. Yeah. And none of those people a think it's a bad idea. Um, it's so morally, that's nine eleven. But like even on this ball one, you know, let's say they they yeah, think, let's
0: go much lower stakes and talk right. about the ball. Yeah, let's <laughs> not, not be so We're not comparing nine yeah. eleven to. But let's. And,
1: I was just talking about conspiracy theories. Let's go back to the ball. A no one on this level. I think it's still probably twenty to fifty people, right? Maybe you could get it down to five to ten. Um, you know, the, the the commissioner tells one person at the plant. Then there's going to be people at the plant. There's probably some people that have to man, that have to manage the interaction. So it's like somebody, an assistant to the uh, to to Manfred. I would say that somebody else in the office would have to know. So I'm saying at least sort of 10 people know, maybe 50. Um, if it's 10 people, in that 10 people, there's no one that A, thinks that it's morally a bad idea, B, uh, hates Rob Manfred, or C, thinks they could get him Rob Manfred's job. Mm-hmm. I would say that knowing people, it's almost a lock that if you get 10 people together, there's at least one of them that... Uh, that, the, that, that is in okay. one of those three categories yeah, they either absolutely. think A I hate this I hate what we're doing here I'm going to leak the, the memo or whatever it is I'm going to tell somebody B uh, I hate Rob Manfred so this is something he wants to do and I'm going to get him fired or C man if he got fired I could get his job
0: I could I could slide in there exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. So yeah. you
1: know, but it, but something at the factory, you know, some some spec could have changed. Some yeah, some calibration some on one of the machines yeah, that, that, that
0: that's tightening things. Something's different though, and that's that's what we're hearing more and more people say. You know, in the game, in the booth, former players, you know, grabbing the ball and saying, okay, this this is this is way different. So there's something going on. Homer's are crazy. We know that, and I, it's a confluence of factors. But I definitely think the ball. Uh, is is a lot different at this point. All right, let's keep talking here. We got some interesting moves today. The best player ever, at least that's what I've been told. Kyle Schwarber. No, I'm just kidding. Not the best player ever, but the wildly overrated Kyle Schwarber was finally sent down. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be snarky about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back for this one because he was so completely overrated. It didn't make any sense. Now I didn't think he was gonna get sent down. I always just thought that he was wildly overdrafted 171 average 295 on base 378 slug did hit 12 homers every time he hit a homer in like the last month it was here comes Kyle Schwarber he's finally coming out of it yeah well the Iowa Cubs just got themselves an impact bat so maybe they can make the playoffs Kyle Schwarber you know sent down where are you cutting him what leagues are you cutting him in if any
1: yeah you know I don't I wouldn't say that I was of that mind I thought uh, some of the comparisons to Mike Napoli were unfair they they turn out to be pretty fair i i think that even right now he's a little bit it's been a little bit unfair to him because if you look at his walk and strikeout rates and his isolated power they're all f- you know fairly good and you know yes he's not going to be a 260 270 280 hitter with a 29 percent strikeout rate,
0: credit for that, and that's what bothered me was that we're going to get this guy who's hitting two seventy with thirty-five bombs based on what? Yeah, a, a series in the playoffs. Really, really is what it was. He got overrated by the put, which was awesome when he came back. Like I'm not, I, I sound like such a hater. I get that. But I, I dig when Kyle Schwaber's awesome. You know, it was cool to watch him come back in the World Series. But it's not like he even hit home runs. He had seven base hits.
1: So I don't yeah, he was I coming back overrated. from from an injury, and he, he hadn't had much time to to, to get ready. I would say that I thought of him as a two forty hitter with thirty home runs. That could be a catcher. I thought they would catch him some. And the catcher some leagues, thing was he's the, actually the, is a catcher. The part.
0: That was the part. Yahoo already had him as catcher, so I understood in Yahoo leagues. Yeah, and then you had to wonder if you in uh, you know I was saying like, why is he going ahead of like Krys Davis, Miguel Sano, Matt Kemp, those guys? He was going so much more ahead of them though that he had to get the catcher to justify it. And I don't know, it just didn't feel like a great bet to me. And uh, you know, so far that that that's that's yeah. proven true. But if you do um, have him at
1: catcher you're stuck right now because he's, he is probably better than a lot of the catchers you could pick up. Like even in a sort of a 12 team league, let me look at this. Um, this is a 10 team. I, I do have him as catcher in a league right now
0: in any Yahoo league. And, I had to cut somebody else, yeah. know, and get get a catcher in there as opposed
1: to cutting him. I'm not. It's a keeper league too, and so yeah, uh, and we actually
0: use major league salaries too. So that's all, all these quirks are making me say I can't. I can't cut him.
1: And I think this is a 14 team league. When I look at who's available, you know, it's Chirinos, uh Travis Darno, you know, guys that, you know, actually Devin Mesoraco is there. I'd probably if if you're listening to this, That's who I picked up. Yeah, I would pick up Devin Mesoraco. He's actually hitting the ball pretty hard, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things to like about what he's doing right now. I think the batting average can come up a little bit, and he's uh, he's like your traditional catcher with a capital C, just you know, two fifty twenty five homer hitting guy.
0: Well, can we talk about this in the context of another move that happened then with Stephen Vogt getting designated for assignment? Um, he'll likely, well, I shouldn't say like I really don't know. I, I think he'll be traded. And go end up being at least a backup catcher somewhere. Uh, what do you think of?
1: Well, like, he was probably involved. your second catcher in AL only. I mean, that's that's how far he's fallen. I think you, you don't know think
0: he was still owned in in mixed leagues because catchers so crappy. I, th- I think I think people are still waiting. I mean, on if him.
1: if you have the choice between vote and Mesorako, then just go get Mezuraco. Mezuraco right now six percent in Yahoo. So I can't imagine vote is much lower. Let me in Yahoo vote so is nineteen percent. That, those that's, you know what, that's what I'm saying? Fifteen percent of those. I mean. Not not 15%, 19%. I know how math works, but yeah. 15 percentage points of that 19 percentage points are probably inactive leagues because That's I, I can't imagine that 20% of leagues are, are really running um, Stephen Vogt out there right now the way he's playing. I have him in a 12-team league in Ottenew, but th- I was judiciously running him out there against really weak right-handers um, and just trying to get a, a plate appearance here or there. And, uh, you know, now I'm ready to just cut him. I think, you know, Devin Masarocco is a good move. And if you're an AL only, I think, you know, Bruce Maxwell is an interesting pickup. Just you know? pick up his, his replacement? Yeah, Bruce Maxwell, you know, he came on a little bit. He, he, and I talked to him about it, and he's kind of like, yeah, you know, for a long time the focus was on, on being a good catcher defensively and framing and all that. And then, you know, I started to, t- to, and I always had a good eye, so what I started to do in 2016 was just be more aggressive and try to, it's almost like that Aaron Hicks story where he's playing with that aggression and patience a little bit to go get the pitch you want to get and drive it as opposed to sort of wait passively. And if you look at his minor league slugging percentages or his ISOs in 2016 and 2017 at AAA, 180, 218, those, those could play. Those are a lot better than what he's projected into, which is this 100-107 level, which is not going to be very useful. So, mm-hmm. at least you know he's going to play, and he's got a chance. He's the lefty hitting side, uh, so he could, he could play more often even than... Um, then Josh yeah. Fegley. So yeah. there's playing time there, and then there's this opportunity to perhaps get a league average power bat, a guy who can hit two sixty with a good on base percentage, and you know, ten to fifteen, you know, going forward, probably like seven to ten homers.
0: You yeah, know, that's
1: something I'd take.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Schwarber Schwarber sent down, vote sent out for assignment. We'll see. Uh, like I said probably gets traded somewhere to be a backup, but we'll we'll figure that out. All right. Um I want to talk about a few Different players that are kind of interesting to me right now, and and they are related to some pieces that we've seen on the site, including one from Jeff Sullivan. He did kind of a check in on uh, Eric Thames, who's no doubt been struggling since that electric April. Um, You know, there's been a few factors that have have definitely played a role: a a bout of strep throat, a, a strained hamstring. You could definitely give him some leeway for those, but by and large, you have to look at it and say, you know, it's it's been a pretty sharp regression, especially on the on the the skills that we saw Thames showing that looked like, you know, there's going to be a lot of sustainability here because he wasn't chasing stuff. He was picking the right pitches to hit. Um, and, and we just haven't seen that as much. Talked a lot about fastball, particularly the, the, the harder fastballs being problematic for Thames. Uh, you decided to take it a step further, uh, not in a piece, just, just independently. In fact, for the podcast and see what kind of fastballs he was struggling with in terms of location, did you find anything there with Eric Thames in in the fastball location?
1: Yeah, when he came back, they were you know front dooring him with two seamers a lot more. Uh, you know he uh, you know close to in terms of red zones, he had some he has way more red zones now on the inside with the two seamers. So I think they're they're playing with him back and forth. That was one thing that I even saw. I think Dave Valley talk about on the on the MLB Network was saying that you know, he thinks that they should crowd him inside more because everyone was pitching him in, with pitching one one sort of away, away, away. Definitely. And, you know, to some extent I think that played. I also think that they were play, pitching him up away a little bit and, it, and it's, they focused more a little bit on down and away. So, you know, I think that he's probably one of these left-handers like a Joey Votto and a Bryce Harper that has built his swing to hit that, that pitch that's low and away. And that uh, they started to crowd him. I also think that hamstring issue is is, is, uh, is a part of this. And in general, you know, I think I'm of sort of of two minds because there's, there's a couple things going on. First of all, I think there's probably some regress- regression that's, uh, you know, mathematical or just sort of inevitable in that what he's doing now looks a lot more like what we expected certainly so if you were suspicious early on about the contact rate and the strikeout rate kudos to you that regressed back to where his projections were and now his projections and actual performance line up almost perfectly so in some ways that's I guess you could call it math on the other hand I think it's an open, an eye opener in terms of how these, how baseball works you know he comes in he's of his best health and nobody knows him. Nobody has a book on him. They just throw him the lone-away fastball, and he murders it. Uh, he hurts himself. That hamstring was an issue even when he was playing. So there's some erosion in, in – we know there's some erosion around when he got hurt because we could see him, if you watch games, there were times when he was hitting his hamstring with his hand. Oh, and certainly. And he was – and he stopped – you know, he wasn't running as well around the bases, and it was really obvious. So that can affect you at the plate as well. And so there's some erosion around the time he got hurt. We don't know how much that's still being a part of it. And then we also see that there's a change in in the way he's being pitched a little bit. So, you know, you could you could sort of roll your eyes at him and say, "No, nah, this is who we thought he would be and he's being who we thought he'd be and, you know, congrats to uh to the the Brewers for, you know, taking that chance and and having it work out that he is who the number said he would be." That's, that's fine. The thing, yeah. But we're
0: still talking about Eric Thames with a 966 OPS right now. Right. And you know it is a 253 batting average, so it's OBP and slug. What do you think the rest of the way? though? look solely to the projections and kind of go off of that for Eric Thames.
1: I mean, that's what you got to do. I think you know, there's to put still him as like
0: an 870 guy. There's
1: still going to be a series in Cincinnati where he hits five more home runs. You know, <laughs>
0: yes, I'm looking forward to that one. Let's get some more Reds games on the docket.
1: He's still going to, he's still going to threaten 40 homers. If he doesn't cross 40 homers, I. I you know so uh it's a new reality in baseball these days that somebody can hit 40 homers and you know not necessarily be uh first two rounder or whatever but
0: all right let's let's do some would you rather here we're going to do a lot of would you rather today by the way with these guys we're talking about i've got two editions of would you rather with with eric thames one's a power edition so guys kind of like him uh kind of getting an idea of where you're at and then another is, is um Guys a little bit more across the board, performers, they're not so much on the power. And I'm not going to let you just say, oh, it depends on what I need. I'm going to have you kind of take a stand on what you would want, all things being equal. Let's start with the power, guys. Would you rather Eric Thames or Cody Bellinger?
1: Bellinger. You know, the reason I say that is partially age, which I think in this case, even though there's a whiff of the unknown around Cody Bellinger, and he strikes out more and, sw- and swings and misses more, mm-hmm. He's got. he's going to turn 22 uh, pretty soon uh, in a month. Oh, and, uh, yeah, we'll us all wish him a happy birthday then. But uh, that means he's – and this is something that came up with Aaron Judge, and we can talk a little bit more about Aaron Judge later. It was a big oh, we topic of conversation. But Aaron Judge is 25 years old. I don't know if people know that. 25. And that's, that's the new peak. 25, 26 is the peak. So the problem with comparing him to a Stanton or whatever and saying one person was very adamant that he'd cut 15% off his strikeout rate, and I'm like, dude, was stupid. don't Sorry. look at the 44% from last year in 95 plate appearances. is not what I'm looking at. I, I uh, saw that
0: in your chat, and I was just like, <laughs> That's dumb. Yeah, like that, that's not what I'm talking about. You thought that was his established level and he's just going to keep chopping 15 percentage right, point no. chunks off? No, dude.
1: What no. what what we're seeing now from Aaron Judge is what the numbers predicted um, and, uh, frankly, I think where he'll settle in. And also, he's 25, so where Stanton came in and was like 23, and if you look at Stanton's improvement in a strikeout rate, there were two or three years of improvement and then he sort of settled in, and he, and he didn't ever get it down to 20% or 25%. You know, it's like he, he he shaved a couple percentage points off here or there, and that's it. And that was Stanton, you know, getting closer to 26. Judge has one year of that, yeah. and then he's still at his peak, and then not very likely to strike out less uh, yeah, going your, forward. To your
0: point, when Stanton came in, he was at 31%. That was at age 20. 28, 29, 28. Twenty-seven, yeah, nice little peak there. Twenty-four, uh, uh, age twenty-four, happens to be his best year ever. Then back and up then back up again. And back to 30, yeah. 30, and now twenty-four this year, which is kind
1: of interesting.
0: But but it's a, that's know.
1: that's fluctuation, normal fluctuation exactly. in general. You know, came in at his worst and then got a little bit better, but was like what you said. How old was twenty-two? He came in at twenty and then at 20. age twenty-four had that best season. Five that, uh, years of difference. Uh, and even if it's you go with so 27 different. as the traditional peak, which I think is a little old school, was a little bit messed up by PEDs, PDs, um, you know, lengthened people's careers like Barry Bonds' career. You could see that it, it drug, drugged people into the 30s with their peaks. With their peaks, absolutely. We used to think like 27 to 32. Now it's more of I mean, look at to 30. Look at Stephen Vogt. He was he was a borderline major leaguer. I'm not saying this his career is over and I'm not trying to be rude because I love the guy, he's a very nice guy and the he guy deserves amazing. everything. But at the same time, you know, he was a borderline major leaguer and he had his couple of good years. He's at 32 and he might be done. That's that's more baseball. That's that's sort of like more natural, I would say with with air quotes around natural, baseball. So, um, you know, so anyway, back to Cody Bellinger. He's 22 years old. He's got 3 4 years to to improve the strikeout rate. Right? I don't know where I think personally that I see enough bat ball skills where I could see him settling in at 25 and, you know, you know, shoving you know, shoving a little bit off 29 28 27, peak year 25 26. He is steamer has him at 26 going forward. So, there's enough there where it could even ha- some of it could happen this year, right? In just some of the adjustments that happened this year, uh, going forward, whereas um, you know a, a guy like uh, who were we talking about? Before Bellinger, Thames. Thames. He's uh, how old is he? He's thirty. Thirty. Yeah, thirty. He's thirty so on the dot. He's not he's necessarily likely to get you know, and, and he's dealing with the health event. So, uh, yeah, I could see, I could see Thames, uh, I could see Bellinger cutting that strikeout rate and having a better batting average. They're projected to be very similar. You know, both of them projected to be about 240 uh, hitters with, you know, 15 to 18 homers going forward. So give me the young buck. Yeah, give me uh, the young well. buck. The, the, you. more of the more of the unknown is on the positive side.
0: Let's get some guys more Plus in he, his range.
1: His hamstring isn't hurt, so who's more likely Let's... to actually steal four bases going forward? Exactly. Man, that uh, four and, bases and ain't nothing, man. I, I got some leagues where I could use four bases.
0: Yeah, give, give me every base I can get. Yeah, can I stolen big bases, bases so from guys. Hard it's right so now. great. Oh my god! I get god. so excited. I was pretty big on Travis Shaw this year, and I love what he's doing. One of the things I thought he could do was steal a little bit in uh, Milwaukee, and he is. He has seven stolen bases. Those That's are huge when you don't guess, have geez. the big stolen base guys. All right, next up, uh, would you rather Eric
1: Thames or Jose Abreu? Mm. In Some nice. ways. Jose Abreu's skill set is more in demand right now when batting average is going down. Yeah, you're trading you're trading some of that punch for a 298
0: batting average at a corresponding 16% strikeout rate, which suggests that it can hold maybe Abreu gets traded somewhere and and and
1: I doubt which, he gets traded somewhere that's healthier for his homers though.
0: That's true, but what it, could it be healthier for his runs and RBIs?
1: It could be, and if it's New York, it probably would be about the same in terms of Unless he, so is he a righty? Sexy. He is a righty. It's, he is a righty. not as, quite as good in New York. But Still good, though. Yeah. I, the, the thing is, I think that uh, thinking too much about trade for first baseman right now is a folly because we have three to five days on Greg Bird, and I think the Yankees would rather spend on pitching considering that you have Severino and, and maybe Pineda, but it might be better for them to go big even going forward. Like if you could get a cost controlled young, good starting first uh, starting pitcher in New York, I think they would pay for that because they don't really, I think behind Severino and Pinedo, they don't have a lot, you know, that, you know, that they can depend on. And the high impact. Yeah. And then, and then their old guys are looking worse and worse by the day. So, um, you know, I think br- r- Ma- and then McGovern. I think if Greg Bird is her- healthy, I like Greg Bird still. One of the projections has him at 220 with 30 25 to 30 type home run power and good and good OBP. I think he's more like a 240 250 hitter with 30 home runs easy. Um uh, this health thing of course should scare everyone. He probably shouldn't be owned right now unless you have an extra DL slot and 12 I think at 15, you could start considering stashing him. In five days, we're going to know something. So it's poop or get off the potty time. And Definitely. then we'll know something. And then, this is be amazing, then we'll have one team that wants a first baseman. One contender.
0: So that's a good point with regards to So they to can be like a or Alonso. First base is or, so deep, dude. Yeah. First base is so deep. And I came in the season wondering how deep it was going to be, and it turned out it, it, it's plenty deep. So would you take a Braille or things so?
1: Okay, so I think he's going to stay in, in Chicago. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't even be surprised if they start talking about an extension. Um, so I think that his yeah, it's interesting. You know, his projection. This is funny. His projection is for 16 home runs. A for 16 yeah. more. Yeah, and if you if you actually take the projections, then you have to take a Braves, because their projected home run totals are similar. And then one guy's projected to a 290 average. Which I think you have to believe. I mean, right now he has a 299 career average over 2,300 plate appearances. So Absolutely. Yeah, so you believe the 290. Now he only has 12 home runs right now. What if he only has 15, 14 home runs more? I still take him. I take him. It's so hard to I have batting average. so I... hard, especially if you're talking about like a 12-team league right now. You know, 12-team league, the thing that's the hardest about the 12-team league is protecting your batting average. Everyone's yeah, got homers. homers everywhere. Yeah.
0: So I'm actually with you there and I, I love Thames. I was one of the biggest God, Why supporters we're such wafflers, out.
1: man. We told everyone to get everything for Thames and now we're telling them
0: I, I know, I know. But I am not <sighs> still i I'm not saying run away from him. Yeah. But in the context of the league that we have here with all these homers, yeah. I think Abreu is the right pick. Now what about K. Riz Davis? I
1: don't know. No, I'm taking Thames. There we go. Finally. Uh, you know, Davis is, is fine, but he's, like, literally a one-dimensional guy. Somebody brought this up. This is a little bit real baseball over fantasy baseball. But consider this. Chris Davis might be a non-tender candidate. Which is insane when you think about it. He might it, finish then, the season really... with a win or a His win and a half.
0: Is comically bad.
1: It is pretty bad. He'll, he'll throw the ball straight into the ground ground
0: i have a better arm so, so
1: he gets then to see he gets into the season at like a sort of like a 110 115 type wrc plus with really negative defense not much uh value on offense and you know pretty much you know all tied up in his power so that's and that's real baseball but in, in essence it's kind of gives you an idea about even his fantasy value i think right now there's too many people who can do what davis does and Thames yeah, is, Tames is, is about dynamic. the same, but Thames is a little bit more dynamic, uh, a little bit better offense, and different position eligibility. At least he has first base and outfield. So a little bit more value there. So
0: it, when, we're, when we're this close on the numbers, you got to go for the little tiebreaker. So, yeah, yeah first base, outfield. That alone can kind of be the kicker. The age is about the same. So, yeah, I'm going OB, Thames there OBP
1: too. I think a, a fairly significant OBP difference. 75 points. And even going forward projected, that would – um, that that shows up in the runs in RBI. So, yeah.
0: Uh, okay, last one. Corey Dickerson out in Tampa Bay. Mm. About the same age. He's Steve 28. Dick. Having a big breakthrough. Big average this year, 326. We hadn't seen that, obviously, since his uh, since scores days when he hit 312, 304 uh, for a but couple projected of years. projected
1: to be way – it projected to be less than Tames going forwards Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would take Tames, but it's uh, it is pretty amazing. You know what's a, what's really amazing about Dickerson is that he's cut his strikeout rate so much, career uh, best since rookie season. But his swing strike rate is the same as it ever was. In some ways, he's just become more aggressive. He's just he's almost Josh Hamilton at where he's just three seventy Babbit. I'm gonna swing, swing, swing. Yeah, and we had that 367 Babbitt before, but that was the Rockies that's, in a that's small thing, sample. You can't. You can't ju-
0: he had 356 the year before. So even if you add his two years, 14 and 15, in, in Colorado with Corey Dickerson, 356 and 367, but that field just changes everything. We talk about it on the show. You hear it in other spots too. It's not just the home runs, it's the base hits that Colorado allows that makes yeah. it such a great place because the outfield is huge. So I don't think you can look back at that and say, well, he's done it before without completely acknowledging the, the environment that he was in. I like what Corey Dickerson's doing, but I would go with Eric Thames as well. Um, so there, there, there's a would-you-rather on power, guys. Now I want to talk about these non-power guys and, and get you to – I'm used first baseman and, and outfielders again here. I'm going to give them all to you at once, and you give me an idea of the ones that you would definitely go over, and the ones that you uh, – over Thames and the ones that you wouldn't. Christian Yelich, Andrew Benintendi. Eric Hosmer and Ian Desmond.
1: So what do you want me to do?
0: Uh, just to, instead of covering each one individually, because this oh. podcast would be nine hours, I just want the ones that, uh, that, that you would take over Thames.
1: Yeah, a lot of those guys are different. Like Benintendi and Desmond are way less power and I think better batting average, but necess- not necessarily showing it right now. So I, I don't think I would. I think I would take Thames over them. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then you keep Yelich and Hosmer. Well, you know Yelich is, is
1: actually I could I could throw him in that group because he's supposed to be a batting average guy, and right now isn't really showing it. He's he's the guy I'd probably believe in the most to show it going forward. Yelich, that is. Yeah, in terms of batting average, uh, but he he kind of lost some of his uh, gains when it came to fly balls. I guess he's hitting a career-high in fly ball rate, but it's 22%. So. I was going to say, but it's still really
0: low, and that's kind of the thing. And I love Yelich, but he hit those 21 homers last year without really impacting his, his ground ball to fly ball ratio. Yeah. So it puts a big onus on a homer to fly ball rate, which has bounced back from 24% to 15%. And 15% is still above league average, but you got to be popping 20-something.
1: Dude, This guy. Uh, this guy – You know, he reminds me a little bit of the Jason Hayward. You know, like where he's going to have one year, maybe already had it. Maybe the twenty-one homers is it. But he's going to have one year where he has his best power output, and we're all going to believe in it, and it's not going to come back.
0: I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, because he was being projected to keep. Unless he changes his approach, Christian Yelich.
1: He's 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 also like Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts once told me, "No, I'm not going to lift it more. What I'm doing is working."
0: That's th- why. Why would you want to change? Like he's always been a plus player. He, yeah. He actually Yelich had a 118 WRC plus on the dot for his first three years. Spiked up to 130 last year. I mean, you know what he does does in fact work, and and it's actually a unique sort of deal uh, in in the environment we're in because of the power uh, exploding everywhere. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get my homers. He should end up around fifteen,
1: sixteen. You know, fifteen, yeah.
0: sixteen. Yeah. But uh, if the batting average comes through, that's where his 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 gains come, and he looks just, a little bit more like. I have that a hard time taking time.
1: that package. Still, I mean, I know. Well, you could like you could really you, you could, I you know we I used to think you know home run equals about a stolen base in terms of value, but that can't be true anymore.
0: Well, it was last year when when Jeff Zimmerman ran ran the numbers. We had and last year was juice ball it. era,
1: but we are seeing even more homers. So yes, well, and he did it early
0: in the season. Yeah. So it was before he saw how the season was going to play out.
1: So and and if you add if you add Yellick's projected stolen bases to his homers, he's right there with uh, with Thames and has will have a better batting average. So
0: would you say? Every SB. That's definitely is the like one, one that I would 2. separate. 5? I
1: would take yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. I, you got to take Yellick out of that group. He's better than okay. Desmond and better than Benintendi. Um, just believe he's going to steal. I think
0: Benintendi's on a Yelich track. Yeah, he's a not little there bit. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Like he, I, I've just heard can't that. Can't conf- depend on it too, necessarily. Exactly because he's in his age twenty two season, uh, really his first full season. So I agree. Um, I would take Thames over Benintendi and Hosmer. Oh yeah, for sure, I, Hosmer. I didn't even hear that. Yeah, and then I don't, I don't think so, Tim, on Yelich and Desmond. But those are two guys I really. I
1: re- so you would keep Desmond too,
0: over? Teams? I really love Desmond, and I think he's starting to come
1: on. Well, he, you know, and, he's in. Speaking of that, that Coors Field effect, I really like what it's going to do for him going forward because, yeah, he strikes out too much, but when he has those plus batting averages on balls in play. Which he's had a like his whole career, and he's, and he's now three fifty nine this year. Yeah, and he's in Colorado three twenty eight for his career, and now he's in Colorado. So I think he could he can maintain that three sixty, maybe even push it up if he starts getting hot. So, and he's already got twelve
0: homers plus stolen bases in forty seven games. So yeah. I still really like Desmond. He's really starting to find his groove, I think. So yeah, I would take. I think him we over. found
1: where Thames belongs, somewhere in there. It you know that's where you can look at your needs. It, it, yeah, <laughs> and I said, I, I, I didn't want that. But that's where he be belongs. Like, oh, so I think we found, needs, but yeah, we found, yeah, we found a we found a home for him. It's somewhere, okay. somewhere around Desmond Yelich, which uh, I think, you know, I, I would say that I'm not so sad that we were bullish on him in the beginning because, you know, yes, we're this is t- a step back maybe from where we were before, but if you if we told you before the season, you know, you can choose Thames or Kristen Yelich. You know, and two months from now, you know, and Paul are going to be talking about how, you know, maybe this guy, maybe that guy, you'd be like, what? You know, so. Exactly. So exactly. it was still, and the person selling times probably thought it was going to get worse going forward than it has. So, you know, he, he's settled in. It's the the contact rate is not as good as it was. And so the batting average won't be, but. Uh, the power's real, and I I do think he's going to have some sweet series where he's going to be all over SportsCenter and they'll be interviewing him again. I really enjoy watching him getting interviewed. He's a, he's a funny guy.
0: I completely agree on all counts there with Eric Thames. Okay, let's move on to some pitchers here. Now, this one doesn't have a, a, uh, a piece tied to it or anything, but Sean Newcomb started again yesterday. I believe he walked one guy, and if you look, he's gone two, three, and one for his walks, I believe, uh, in his three starts, and walks where he major major issue with it was two four and one uh in the three starts so far for for sean newcomb he walked like five per nine throughout his minor league career like not did not really waver from that at all and and we're seeing him with a 3.4 walk rate right now nine percent if you go by the uh, the bb rate do you you buy into this early walk rate there's a sixty three percent first pitch strike rate for newcomb is he kind of morphing a bit at the majors, or is it the three-start sample and he's gonna he's gonna get back to that uh, that that walk trouble that he had in the minors? What do you think on Sean Newcomb?
1: You know, one thing that strikes me about his pitch mix right now is that he's almost a two-pitch pitcher. I mean, you get up to he like is, ninety, yeah. you get up to like ninety-three percent if you add up his curveball and fastball, mm-hmm. and I. I would uh, put some serious coin down, uh, some serious gummy bears down, and venture that he was throwing much, many more than two percent change ups in the ma- in the minor leagues. Like they were forcing him to throw yeah, fifteen you know, per game for sure. You know, death, Dan Straley. Dan Straley said there was a kangaroo court fine if you didn't throw your fifteen change ups in the Oakland organization. So if you're doing that, you're throwing your fourth pitch fifteen percent of the time, and that can lead to walks. And you can uh you know, that can lead to if he's throwing that slider a lot and he's trying to throw he's trying to throw throw a slider. If he's throwing that slider instead of the curveball, maybe he doesn't get that look at that thirty nine percent ground ball rate. How's a guy with a plus curveball like he have has right now? And I think I believe in this curveball, how does mm-hmm. a guy with that kind of a curveball have a thirty nine percent ground ball rate? So I would In say the minors, you're saying? In the minors, yeah. Yeah, because it's 49 at the majors. I, I also think the curveball
0: probably wasn't called properly all the time for him by minor league umpires, and he probably lost a lot of called strikes. Um, that is
1: a great point. I mean, that's really – that. if we go to a robo-ump, the calls on on curveballs are going to leap forward even further. So mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing to see. A lot of times they'll hit the plate and actually be strikes. There's, there's a lot of things you can't expect necessarily – you know, an A-ball uh, umpire to, to figure that out, so um, or just to see that necessarily. So, so I'm I'm kind of buying
0: it. Sixty-three percent first pitch strike rate, honing on his two best which pitches, which is above average. Better umpires you know and 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 by the way i also think there's some strikeout upside he's only got an 18% mark right now but a 10% swinging strike rate i think he's finding his footing one of those things where the young guy kind of gets outs how he can early on and then as he gets more comfortable i think he'll start to look for put away pitches as opposed to just hey man if it's if it's a three pitching out ground ball great i'm not you know the sequencing isn't the biggest part right now it, it's kind of get outs cuz i'm a 24 year old finding my footing so kind of bullish on Sean Newcomb right now too and I, I was nervous coming up because of the walk rate and I even said on the on the solo pod I said be careful because of this walk rate and then he goes out I watched his last start and I was like damn this guy has a lot more command uh, of his stuff than, than the minor league track record would have would have led me to believe so even though it's only been one start since I was just making proclamations of watch out for mm-hmm. the walk rate. There's a, Already kind of changed my tune a little. There's
1: still a little to, to be nervous about. He has, a, right now, 51% swing rate, 52% swing rate. Average is 46. So in some ways, you know, batters are helping him. You know, they're swinging. They're
0: being aggressive on the young guy. Yeah. And, and, and maybe they'll wait him maybe out. They'll maybe
1: they'll wait him so. out at some point. Um, you know, fastball curve, with and he's not, depending on these uh, second and third pitches, you know, the deeper he goes in the games, the more he sees people. The, you know, when, he, when a guy sees him a second time, he's going to have to go to these, these other pitches that he doesn't command as well, if that's, if that's the working theory. At the same okay. time, I do remember back, we, I think we might have talked about this, where Eric Longenhagen was talking about how he liked Sean Newcomb and that he thought that really tall lefties, in particular, like, like Newcomb, who is listed at 6'5", uh, that guys like that had longer uh, timetables so that they, they took longer to figure out. I mean, t- you think about Absolutely. Randy Johnson and, and, and some other guys in the past that so took a little bit of time to figure it out. Doug Thorburn came in my chat today and said, you know, sometimes they're taught poor mechanics. And I think his answer makes sense, but it also actually sort of fits with the the prevailing theory, which is that they have longer limbs and more to corral so maybe they're taught bad com- uh, mechanics but also you know might be harder for them to change mechanics because there's there's they're so big and there's more to move so they're
0: they're already working from from behind the eight ball and then you'd factor in the the bad coaching yeah adding an extra roadblock so to speak yeah and, so and I,
1: maybe there is something about you know newcomb has a high arm slot and he and he throws a riding fastball jordan montgomery same thing and montgomery said i have to spot fight the spine tilt that was the thing that that thorburn was talking about um that you know you sort of tilt your spine to get your your release up higher basically and that takes away from your velocity and it takes away from your command and montgomery said you know it's good for me to be up top it's good for me to release out in front but if i sort of tilt my spine to get up on top and I and I hold it too long to release out in front. Then I'm yanking it. Um, then I'm 91 instead of 93, and uh, and I can't command it as well. So even a guy like Montgomery, who we like, it, it deals with these issues. So I don't know. Um, I I think that uh, he's. I would say he's better than his minor league numbers suggest. I, I you so know you, Adam okay. Eric Longenhagen, who I trust, you, um, who was also on a panel of three or four. Prospect guys it was a great discussion who mostly by the way. took the the all the guys on the prospect panel mostly took the middle road and said there's something I like but I don't know if he'll ever figure out the command and Longhand was like, No, I I wanna be more I wanna be more forceful and say this is a guy I like. You know, I think he will figure it out and that it's just gonna take him a little bit longer with all those levers. So you know, you add the Eric hanging thing to the height, uh, to perhaps this uh, this shrinking of his of his repertoire and, and um yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to like there. I, I think right. going forward, I'd project him for like a three-seven-five-one-three-one-three-five kind of guy. I think that's that, that beats, the projections. That's, yeah, beats the projections. It beats the projections. It. I think it's actually very close to a Jordan Montgomery. So v- kind of interesting comparison, especially since Montgomery insists on throwing his changeup and called his changeup his second best pitch to me, which I was sort of like, what was that now? <laughs> and come again. Uh but you know, uh, in the same way, they're, I think they're both breaking ball lefties um, with similar velocities and heights and rising fastballs, and so I think if you like Jordan Montgomery, you should like Sean Newcomb. It, maybe
0: I like that, and we are Montgomery to has a little bit better command,
1: command, but yeah,
0: I've got a would you rather on Newcomb first. Uh, uh,
1: well, hopefully not Jordan Montgomery. Rather.
0: It's not because we, uh, Montgomery's going to get his own little okay. chatter here and and his own would you rather on Newcomb though Sean Newcomb or Brad Peacock
1: Peacock if we're talking this year if we're talking yeah, just, just this
0: year nothing future yeah if we're talking that, keeper. that changes the entire scope
1: yeah if we're talking future I like I like I still like Newcomb's uh, upside what I like about Brad Peacock is he dropped his arm slot and he's getting a lot of east west movement right now. Which the sliders so gross. it's a big frisbee now, and it didn't. You know, it's almost like he turned his curveball on its side So you know, you have, and, and what's amazing to me, and he had, he admitted this to me when we when we just talked, was that he's still kind of staying on top of his curveball. He's kind of like his he can't he sort of made it sound like he can't resist it. You know what I mean? Like he can't. When he throws the curveball, it's not necessarily his whole arm slot goes back to the other one, but it's sort of hand, and the way he releases it is more like his old way. So he's still got uh, an up-down, north-south curveball, but now he has, like, uh, a Frisbee. I wouldn't say Cory Kluber because you have to do a lot of work before you got Corey Kluber's breaking ball, but... Including, like, get into a video game and make a video <laughs> <yeah>. game like <laughs> That's your first
0: step, is to become a robot <laughs> and actually be a, a living video
1: game. But, but... You know, career lowest fastball percentage for Peacock. He admitted, you know, the slider's working, and and uh, I'm I'm playing keep away. Not going to show him that that fastball. That means the, the walk rate is probably believable. But if neither one of these is an asset when it comes to walk rate, then I'll take the guy with the big swing strike rate, the guy with the big strikeout rate, the guy with the big slider, and I'll take Brad Peacock here.
0: And the guy in the great team as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you on Peacock. And, and we
1: played the in the chat today. We played the who 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 kicks Brad Peacock out of the rotation. And right now, it's a trade. I think he's a comfortable five, even when everyone's healthy. And the only thing that's kicking him out is a trade. And even then, that's assuming that Keichel, McCullers, Morton, and Fires are all healthy after the trade, which I would say that's not happening.
0: No, that's a fictional world that, yeah. that we do not live in. Uh, Sean Newcomb or Jeff Hoffman of Colorado?
1: Take Nukem Blasted him. his last time out. Take but, uh, They're both fastball, fastball, curveball guys. One of them pitches in a place that kills curveballs. Yes. Newcomb. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Hoffman also, Colorado, you know, not... He has better command, but, you know, righty and, um, you know, has had... i say it's
0: more control than command yeah. right now. I, I want to make the distinction there because I do think that he can put it in the zone. We're seeing that with, with Hoffman, but... I, I would prefer the command, of course, because in Colorado, if you make mistakes, they just get so punished. He allowed nine his last time out, really kind of tanked that that great start that he was on. But that that's, that's Coors Field in a nutshell right there. You can be pitching so well, and he even had a couple home starts mixed in, but it was mostly road work at Chicago, at San Diego, at Philly, uh, and then home to San Francisco and the Dodgers. Had a 180 ERA or something like that. I, um, actually, I don't think that's cumulative. But anyway, it was it was something in the, in the twos, and then three and two thirds, nine runs against Arizona. Boom! All of a sudden, he's got a 429 ERA, and that it just hits you instantly with Coors Field. So I got to go Newcombe over Hoffman as well. And then the last one, Seth Lugo, recently returned New York mm. Met. Probably he'll get hurt in five seconds and render this moot because that's what happens if you're a Met. But let's assume that. He stays healthy, at least till the end of this episode. Well,
1: uh, obligatory spin rate comment. Um, yes. You know, Lugo has the number one spin rate of all time on the curve. However, you know, even Zimmerman will admit this. Almost anybody who's researched it will admit that it's not as clear how good a spin rate is for the curveball. So,
0: didn't somebody do a piece on that? Um, about how some of it's bad spin? I think Derek Carty. Uh, yeah, Derek Carty. Yes, piece.
1: There's, a, there's a lot of useful versus and I think it's a little bit about like the people who throw four seams that you know have riding like first of all on the spin the the four seam is like yeah I think people who throw four seams are mostly high arm slot people right so their ratio of useful spin to non useful spin is higher It's, it's they get more useful spin out of it right you don't throw a four seam if you're a sidearm guy you throw a two seam you know so it sort of selects for itself Now, you can throw a curveball out of any slot. And if you think about the relationship between useful and non-useful spin, that has a lot to do with your arm slot. And how how the ball looks when it comes out and and what what it's going to do afterwards. So, you know, it is an impressive – I think it's still an impressive curveball when you watch it, when you think about how, you know, um, when you think about how it moves, what it looks like. It's a good curveball. However – you know, 90-mile-an-hour fastball is not very impressive. The slider's not very impressive. The changeup's not very impressive. The strikeout rates have not been impressive. The swing strike rates think, right? have not been impressive.
0: So you're taking Newcomb over Lugo, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Yes? I mean, it. like, I will say this. You may drop Newcomb after the next couple starts and pick up Lugo, that uh I don't want to walk it back too much and sound wishy-washy. What I'm saying is I'd rather have the guy with more upside, and that's Newcomb.
0: Yeah, there's there's got to be a short-term focus here. I don't even think it's wishy-washy. It's just realistic, right? Yeah. If we see three more starts and all of a sudden what you said about how maybe they're going to start waiting Newcomb out some, and then he does go five walks, four walks, and five walks in his mm-hmm. next three starts, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, it's not he's not quite as ready At as At least he Lugo won't walk have. the lineup. <laughs> exactly. And so then you kinda of balance it out. You say, Okay, well I can get a better whip here and maybe blander ERA and strikeout numbers, or I can shoot for the ERA upside because of the seven inning one run games that Newcomb will get, but he's gonna have issues. And if you so, can afford no,
1: no. and if you can afford to sit any of the guys we're talking about right now, yeah, please do. You know, like yeah, exactly. Don't
0: don't don't hesitate to try to Manage manage the starts against those tougher offenses that we we're talking about or those tougher environments. These are not automatic must-start guys in in most leagues. But I, I would take Newcomb right now too, and give it like like you said a, a three to five start sort of trial right now, and and, and go from there. Like target those teams s- that we were
1: talking about: the Cardinals, the you know the Mets, Andres, and, obviously, know, yeah, Phillies,
0: Giants, yeah. the scrub teams. All right, Jordan Montgomery. You talked about how you, you had an interview with him. They were just out in Oakland. Uh, I I'll put a link to your piece there. On his, he talked about his breaking balls and his changeup. What did you guys get to talk about? What What were the interesting findings that you had of that uh, interview with Jordan Montgomery?
1: Well, I think the the interesting thing is that he stopped throwing the slider as much, and it, that, the slider was what we thought would bring the room together for him because it, you know, he was looking for a pitch other than the curveball, even though he says his changeup is the second best pitch. I think most people watching him say curveball best. Um, and then looking for another pitch that can get people out. And so the slider, it's, it's kind of its decently sweepy for a guy who's over the top like he is. So it's kind of that ability to combine the side-to-side with the north-south that he gets naturally from, from his pitches. So if you've got a guy who's going to have a high-riding fastball with good spin uh, with average velocity out of the left side, and then he's got a, a really nice curveball, if you add a slider that's an actual out pitch, you've got a real pitcher there. That's going to be at least above average, if not, you know, beyond that. And so, you know, he had the slider. He stopped throwing it as much. And I was like, well, why did you stop throwing it so much? And he said they weren't swinging at it. And I think that led to some of the walk blips that you saw on 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 his radar. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at, you know, early on, you know, he's kind of had a little bit of stop and start you know, uh, work with his walk rates. I mean, if you look at his game log, he's got um, games with uh, four walks and three walks, you know, and then he's got games with zero walks and one walk, so... Um, Ebbs and
0: flows of a youngster for sure with Jordan with Montgomery. I think it's related
1: to that slider, and what happened was the swing rate went down. And what's interesting in general is that normally people swing at the slider and don't swing at the curveball. And somehow Montgomery pulled this trick where... They weren't swinging at the slider, and yet they just started swinging like crazy at the curveball. So I think he's going to be all right. I am, I am a fan of his. I really like him because that's amazing to kind of – he basically got slider rates off of his curveball when they stopped swinging at the slider. And that's, that's impressive because if you look at it – think about it this way. Curveball normally gets 40% swings, and that's part of why – you know, it only gets about 11% whiffs. People just don't swing at it. They can spot it earlier, whatever it is. And sliders usually get near 50% uh, swings and, and 15% whiffs. That's just how the slider works. He just reversed those two, you know, and he was just getting he was just getting uh, a ton of whiffs on his curveball. So that means to me, I think he's got those two pitches. He's going to keep throwing that change up, even though it's not that great. I, I see a four-pitch guy. I see a four-pitch guy with a deceptive re- release. Does not have the command problems of Newcomb, and um, you know he. Uh, I, I like him. I don't. I wouldn't call him a bad fastball. If somebody said he's a bad fastball guy. I wouldn't go that far. It has good spin. It has decent velocity. If we're talking, Lugo is a ninety. So you know Montgomery's a ninety-two, and he's a lefty. So
0: I like Jordan Montgomery too. I'm 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 pretty excited by him. Been watching. A lot of his recent starts and, and coming away pretty impressed. So I'm I'm pretty bullish as well. Let's play a Would You Rather with him: uh, Jordan Montgomery or Steven Matz?
1: Yeah, you know Mats is very weird right now because super healthy. That's what I love. Yeah, about him four percent swinging strikes.
0: Very no very strike interesting counts. couple of starts so far with 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 Matt's. And obviously I was kidding about the health thing, but he's he, healthy
1: right now, but, but
0: the, the he, numbers
1: are, he threw away that weird. D- he was throwing the Warth and slider for a while. And then he got hurt. And maybe those things are related. I will, I just want to say this real quick, the Wharton and slider. I don't think that the necessarily the mechanics of it are more risky, but we do know from research that velocity is the biggest stressor when it comes to, um, to throwing the ball. And we know that Kyle Boddy did some research and he found that if you correct for velocity, if you adjust for velocity, sliders can be more stressful. However, sliders are normally thrown at lower velocity. However, if you throw in the Wharton slider, you're throwing it at fastball velocity. Exactly. So at low 90s. Which means it is more stressful than a fastball. So now you've got a guy who's throwing a, a 90 mile an hour slider that is more stressful. And he went and got injured, and now he's got come back, and he's not throwing that. Um, he's not throwing that. He also doesn't have the velocity he did have before. Um, and he's not throwing that slider. It's just such a small sample, and there was so much promise before that I'm going to take Mats. I, he's also in the easier league, and
0: I just don't trust the health. I, mean, I think I'm actually going to go. Montgomery. Yeah. I think I am. Yeah, and. I- Yeah, he could could easily just go
1: back down again.
0: But the the health is the reason here. I'm going to make that clear because I do believe in Matt's skills, and I certainly think they're better than what we've seen in 14 innings. I'm not going off of this 14 innings of a 4% swinging strike rate. Although I will point out that even when he was getting good strikeout rates the previous two years, 8.6 and 8.8, it was with mediocre swing strike. It was actually below average, 8.3 and 9.8. So um, I will point that out. But at the same time, I will say I like Matt's skills. I don't believe in the health. So for that reason,
1: I'm out. It's pretty, pretty Um, up and down. Like, look, uh, 2013, a hundred innings, 2014, 130, 140. 2015, 14, uh, 114 innings, uh, 140 innings, 2016, 130 innings, uh, mm-hmm. and then four, 30, 30 this year. So, I mean, he's he's only good for 130 innings a year at, at, at his max, and he's not going to make that this year. So,
0: so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Montgomery. Um, on that same sort of deal, though, maybe a little bit longer of a sample, maybe more like. 4 to 6 starts as opposed to the 3 to 5 or whatever. I'm open to reassessing, you know, every month or so. That's why my SP rankings are going to be updated. Actually, I think I'm going to finish them today for tomorrow. Um, that, that the yeah, i'll finish the ones week. i
1: started three weeks ago <laughs> the, the thing of
0: it is i i change them every damn i I, uh, I say i don't react to every start and i don't i don't react to every individual start but i just look at them on any given day and i'm like nah 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 and i want to change but no i, mm-hmm. I'm, I am wrapping them up for this week i did tell folks they would be out this week so look for that tomorrow on the site um but yeah i'm gonna go with montgomery here how about versus chase anderson through another nice game today, or at least he was. I should check that before I say that because I didn't see the finale here. Um, ended up with six innings, two hits, two runs, two walks, seven strikeouts, and a homer to Jorge uh, Jorge Polanco, Gregory Polanco. Chase Anderson or Jordan Montgomery?
1: That's a nice start from Chase Anderson. Jeez. Hell of a start, man. Now,
0: that's one of those teams that we're talking about picking on, though, too. What? I want to point that out.
1: ah uh. Can I just be
0: frustrated for a second? Because you loved Chase Anderson. Two yes, years
1: ago? you were right, dude. But you can only
0: wait so long, I
1: right? I was wrong because it took this long. Also, exactly. Uh, how, can, how could it be? How could it be Chase Anderson of all the people? He could. He had a homer problem when the league did not have a homer problem. Did not have any
0: <laughs> homer issues. And the one thing was like, well, if this dude would just stop allowing homers, which everyone is not – everyone's stifling yeah, homers, everyone's great. Everyone's better, homer, But
1: Chase like, nah, not he went, me. I'm
0: good. Nah, dude. <laughs> I gave up homers when it uh, – he's a hipster. He's a homer yeah. hipster. He just does whatever the league isn't doing. Oh,
1: man. But, yeah, that's
0: been a major change for him, a .76 homer per nine. Uh, it is a 7% homer to five ball rate, but I, I I think he is impacting it some. Sure, it, you can say it will regress back to toward his 12% uh, mark. I fully understand folks that want to say that. But at the same time, I, I think that Chase Anderson is playing a role. So, hang on, that would be seven homers. I'm trying to do the math. Yeah, Velo really is way.
1: up, actually. I, I missed that somehow. I, yeah. yeah. It's not probably – it's probably only up a tick. It looks like two ticks is probably – that's the old um, – After the calculation. Yeah, but still, it's up.
0: The cutter that he's been using 13 percent of the time this year is up at 90 yeah. miles per hour. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've watched way more Chase Anderson starts than I thought I was going to coming into this year. Starting with that uh, that no hit bid that he took deep, and then I've been watching pretty much everyone since, and I've been pretty damn impressed. I'm not. Gonna he might lock. be a
1: good touch guy in terms of you know three fastballs, and then the reason I was always enamored with him early on is that he he has he can kind of pronate Double the changeup more. So he can kind of throw a changeup that you can kind of throw a, change um, kind of a two-strike changeup versus a, uh, and it's good gap. I mean, look at that ten-mile-hour gap, good movement. It's a really good changeup, and it's sort of amazing. It doesn't throw it that much more than his curve or uh, his cutter right now. So, um, gosh, I just I just hate where he pitches. I hate his homer That's history. Fair, but it
0: is the NL.
1: I'm gonna take Montgomery.
0: Mm. That one is really tough. Man. Can't spend too much more time on this. I just don't know who to pick. They're going to be in the same tier for me, so Mm -hmm. that's how I'm going to cop out of it. But, um, yeah, I kind of love Montgomery, too. I I just think think that that Montgomery,
1: his baseline right now is what he is, and that means that he could be better. He could get better. Okay. And I think that Chase Anderson's – very close peaking. to what he's at, yeah. He's peaking,
0: and he could come back down. But doesn't his come down look like Jordan Montgomery a yeah. bit? 375,
1: 125. Yeah, that's
0: true. So I think I'm going to have Chase a few spots ahead, but they're in the same tier. So honestly, guys, I just don't have a separation on them to where if you have a choice there.
1: I mean, if you have a choice, like in my ten team or – I might have that choice, and I might just—I have had Jordan Montgomery, but i you know—do I necessarily want to start Jordan Montgomery in some of these parks against some of these teams? I might. That's what I hate about Boston. that ten-teamer is it has nightly waivers, so I have to look like two days in ahead yep. to get a guy for a start, and I hate—I mean, it's just a yeah, lot of work. work. A lot of work when but, you have multiple leagues. Yeah. Uh, so
0: yeah, we got them close. We you heard how difficult it was for us to make a decision on Montgomery versus Anderson. Uh, last one here, Brandon McCarthy, who's pitching really well, and I know his health track record certainly throws a complete wrinkle into it. But let's let's assume a modicum of health. Let's say since we are kind of judging on on four to five start bunches here, let's say he's healthy for the next month I'm and taking, then compare Jordan Montgomery and
1: McCarthy. I'm taking McCarthy. Uh, you know he's. Uh, famously you know added velocity in the last 3 years Big but look time, at right? this look at that cutter usage you know what that's from three what? bottles you? of wine he drank three bottles of wine with another pitcher who shall remain nameless but might be able to be guessed and they were Whoa. talking about a piece I guess. huh
0: i want to guess <laughs> <I'm not gonna.
1: laughs> it can't it's not that hard it just like think about who it might be and it's that person, uh, and they were uh, they were reading. They were talking about a piece of mine in which I talked about how uh, Blake Trainen and Sam Dyson tucked their thumbs mm-hmm. on their fastballs, and they went out back after three bottles of wine and tucked their thumbs on all their pitches and, and threw them.
0: I want to see those three bottles of wine pitches. W- w- trying a new technique, like what was the command on those pitches? <laughs> right, <laughs> breaking wind. Imagine if they were like
1: house? they were like, can you sit in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, dude. No, did the fence hey, just is fine. There just pretend to draw bat. a line on the fence here, <laughs> bro.
0: Just throw it at that plant over there, man. I'm not going to bat for you. You've had three bottles of
1: wine, but uh, they shared it at least. And also, what he found was he was like, I can't throw the fastball with the thumb He said he he uh, he found a new cutter that way.
0: The thumb thuck. You, you you spoonerized it. The thumb tuck. Oh, you said thumb which tum-thuck. is pretty funny.
1: Yeah, um, the he said that he found his his uh, his his cutter back by doing that, yep. and uh, I think you can see it in thirty percent horizontal move, um,
0: four year high. He was down at fourteen, sixteen, ten percent. Um, major change for for Brandon McCarthy. By the way, cut to the chase here. I'm also picking McCarthy because again, since we are focused on the more short term, but this is the uh, first this healthy, the first year
1: him. that his cutter doesn't fade since when he had his best cutters in 2010 and 2011. So it's the first time that his cutter doesn't go the way his sinker does, if you think about it. It's very, very uh, closer to a slider. It kind of goes straight. So
0: so and he, he's been leaning on it and, and getting away from the four-seamer and focusing on cutter curve. Which I think and is best. he's been serving McCarthy very That's well. That's best
1: McCarthy. And I really hope he stays healthy. Cutter curve uh, sinker right there. He's, he, he can be so good when he stays. He healthy. throws yeah, that. Take the four well. seam is like a is a swing strike pitch for him. It's like a he kind of g- pitched backwards on that. Yeah, I like him, and he's gonna get some of the better uh, matchups of any of the guys we talked about. He's gonna get AL West, ma- matchups right now are pretty tasty, except mm-hmm. for in Arizona. Giants, I might avoid him in Arizona, Arizona if he's trying to do a touch on that cutter. You know, trying to get that feel on that cutter in, in Arizona.
0: And that offense is no joke. So I told not just the park, but the offense yeah. in Arizona as well. Yeah. So I get that. But for the most part, uh, you know Montgomery has those issues too going into Baltimore, going into Fenway. So uh, I will lean towards McCarthy right now. All right, you know, let's finish up talking about the Aaron Judge trade. Let's follow up to what we talked about last time. Um, and you were in in the midst of, of trade talks, and I believe a deal was finalized. Can you give us the the the, the, the final the final deal here?
1: Yeah, I made I made the deal. Which is saying something because I'm a notorious hammer... Feet dragger. ...and har and feet dragger, and it and it took me a while. Um, and I think it's not as uh, cut and dry as it might sound. You might say, you traded Aaron Judge for Mike Trout, take a bow. That's not quite what it was because Aaron Drudge was a 20th round keeper. And Mike Trout is more of a 6th or 7th round keeper. So that's a lot of value that you lose. But I think the discussion here is how how good Aaron Judge can be going forward, and some of the other details. So for one, it's a center field uh, eligibility league. So uh, left center and right, left right. center right, and I have Mazzara as a as a keeper that I like, and I'm keeping. And then Gregory Polanco is my last keeper, which I understand some people think he sucks, some people think he's no good. I think he's been hurt this year, and I think he's actually a buy low. kind of guy in Dynasty, and they're both left LFRF guys. So keeping Judge would have meant keeping two left fielder, right fielders, and a utility, or three three corner outfielders. So that wasn't ideal, uh, first of all. And then uh, on top of that, there's a a discussion of what Aaron Judge's batting average on balls in play is going to be. And I understand that, yes, Judge hits the ball wicked hard, and that, I'm sorry, that was Boston, he's New York, I don't care. No,
0: I, I still liked it. Yeah,
1: and Th- I just can't, wicked w- hot. sometimes when I say hard, I just want to say wicked hot. Uh, and then he sprays the ball, yes. He also does not hit a lot of fly balls. Like He's kind of, like I've said, Jose Abreu uh, with more power uh, in terms of his his launch angle. However, no one has ever had a 400 Babbitt. And I don't want to fall back on that and just say it's never happened, so it's never gonna happen. But the people who've had four hundred Babbits have had it in one season. No one's ever had it for a career, and no one's even gotten close in a career. So let's walk that back and say, let's give him one of the best Babbits ever for a career, and give him like a three fifty Babbitt, then you're gonna give him one of the best batting averages ever for a guy who has a twenty-eight. Uh, 28 to 30 percent strikeout rate which means he would hit 260 maybe 265 the best batting average ever for a career other than that was like 258 and it came on some little speedster guy so imagine a little speedster who strikes out 30 percent of the time and has like a 365 babbit what is that guy that anyway uh, I don't even know his name anymore.
0: Willie Mays Hayes trying to hit
1: homers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy must have been weird. Uh, maybe I think it might have been some some year where uh, different different baseball era. But anyway, like, my point quickly? is in the, in this era, I think he is at very best a two sixty 260, two sixty five hitter. And then somebody said, well, why doesn't why doesn't he improve his strikeout rate? And I think we had that conversation earlier where he's 25 years old, he's going to improve it incrementally, and he's going to maybe be settling at 28, 27. His, his, his minor league strikeout rates, Cody Bellinger's minor league strikeout rates are all over the place. He's 22 years old, and he had a 20% strikeout rate in minor leagues. Aaron Judge is 25% old and never had a 20% strikeout rate in the minor leagues. So twenty five percent old, which is funny. he's twenty five percent old, and he had, he never had a twenty year old uh, <laughs> strikeout, rate. strikeout rate. How do you <laughs> never have a twenty year old strikeout rate? It's ridiculous. Uh,
0: yeah, no, I. What was I, his, I, lowest, I love what you're saying, his lowest? His lowest of the
1: minus. He did have a twenty one in in a ball. Don't point that out. Don't at me. But uh, but after that, he was a twenty five to twenty eight guy that predicts twenty eight to twenty nine in the major leagues, and that's where he is. So. I I doubt that he ever gets it below twenty eight percent. He's a really big guy. They're always going to have trouble. They have trouble calling strikes on him below the knees because his knees are so high up in the air. And you know, until we get robo arm set, I think that's always going to be a thing that he deals with. And uh, he's not going to have a four twenty five BABIP. So if you give him a three fifty BABIP, you believe he can hit two sixty five. So now we're talking about uh, two sixty five plus um, you know forty homers. Even with the 8 steals, 10 steals, that's more replaceable to me than a center fielder who can hit 300, who doesn't strike out. This league has strikeouts as a negative category for batters. So this guy, Mike Trout, doesn't strike out, hits 300, 30-30. So I gave him a lot of pieces, though, because this guy, you know, uh, he's a friend of mine, he's going to try and win the league, and I gave him Chris Sale, I gave him Jacob deGrom, I gave him Sonny Gray. I gave him Roberto Asuna. I gave Jimmy him. Nelson. I gave him Greg Holland. I gave him Jimmy Nelson. Uh, is that it? But
0: but you got yeah you got, but you got other stuff back. Too, I got some right?
1: Francis Martis action back. Clint um, Fraser. Uh, Clint Fraser as a prospect we keep for prospects. So Clint Fraser replaces um, the uh, Kyle Lewis the. The Mariners outfielder who keeps getting hurt. So my my minor league keepers now are Harrison Bader. We love Harrison Bader, dude, and, absolutely. And uh, Clint Frazier. So we got I got the fire plug, I got the fire plug, uh, the fire hydrant uh, bodies in there. Uh, and Michael Kopech on the on the pitching side. Oh yeah. So uh, and then good, Kevin, good trio there. Kevin Mytan for the seventeen-year-old uh, oh, shortstop for, for the long term, <laughs> yeah, for the super long term.
0: Okay, that's a good. That's a good group there. You got some guys that could perform pretty soon. Yeah, but and so I, down the road, I
1: let him. I gave him all the rentals he needed to win. Uh, there's a great consolidation in this league every year where someone goes and gets a prospect like, gets a player like this, a keeper like this, and gives up a ton of rentals. And so now my keeper set is Josh Donaldson, which, yeah, he's a lot, got a lost year this year for health. That doesn't mean he can't come back next year and have a healthy year. So Josh Donaldson, Corey Seeger is my shortstop. Uh, Josh Donaldson there. is, like, in the 7th or 8th uh, seventh or eighth round. Corey Seeger in the 12th round. Um, uh, now Mike Trout in the 7th round. And, um, can't no, sleep on that, no by Lamar the way. Azar Mike and, Trout
0: and Gregory, in the 7th.
1: Yeah, and Gregory Polanco that- in the 20th round. So I'll have... Five rounds of buying rental starters and getting a first baseman uh, before you know my keepers start coming in, and then I'll spend the rest of my time you know getting uh, relievers. Basically,
0: yeah, that I think that's really going to work. You did get Wayno uh, Verlander.
1: Um, oh, I, I got Verlander. There. Who I, who I said earlier shot? is a buy low. Maybe I uh, turn him and my tan into uh, a better a prospect that's closer to the big leagues. Uh, for next year at the end like they closer that. to the deadline because I think which Verlander is about to get? turn it over. Brian, Brian Shaw, Shaw it's a holds okay. holds okay. and saves league. So my plan okay. in the meantime is it's also a really funny league because it's head to head and roto. So which is really interesting. I'm actually 4 and 1 in head to head in two week stints. So it's really really interesting, but uh my plan is and it they you know whoever's listening I don't care. They, they some of these guys listen, but uh my plan is to just throw all the pitchers and And, you know, results be damned, really. And just, you know, maybe stream a little and try to get the counting stats for the starters. And then I've got two holds guys that are starters, like Joe Kelly types, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then basically have all of my relievers be holds and punt saves. So I'm going to punt saves and I'm going to punt wins and maybe ERA uh, and whip, but I'm going to win a lot of the counting stats just by throwing these other guys. I'm going to win holds and I'm going to try and, I mean, Trout's going to be back. In you know, that's the thing. Feel like a week or or two weeks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So keep us posted on that
1: because that is that is
0: really interesting. If I
1: stay in it and get some money out of the head-to-head competition, like you know, end up top three in head-to-head and got Mike Trout in the same year, that'd be a win-win for me.
0: Hell yeah, it would. So I, I I like that. And and those of you that are making Aaron Judge trades, whether you're getting him or trading him, go ahead and put him in the comments. I'm very interested to see what the market is like on Judge because he just keeps performing at such and, an elite level. It's absolutely bananas. And
1: I think this is also a good uh, good, uh, good discussion for this. Um, people ask me, how should I rebuild if people hold on to their prospects too hard? I would say do something like this. Massively overpay for a, a young player that you want. So, you know, I did another trade in a league where people do overvalue over their prospects. I gave up Yonder Alonso and... Um, Maybe it was Alex Cobb. I forget who it is. I gave up a bunch of useful parts to a guy who needed them for his for his. Uh, oh, Adam Duvall, Yonder Alonso, Adam Duvall, and uh, Ad- Andrew Triggs. So that trio, okay. and I got Greg Bird back. Now, some people will say, "Oh, that's a bad deal. I don't like Greg Bird." That what doesn't do matter. Bird? I like Greg Bird. And exactly. he's a young player. He's not a prospect who has actually done something in the major leagues. It's different than going and buying AJ Reed. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so that's what I would do. If it takes a guy who's taken a step back, go and buy Michael Franco. I like him. I think he's hit the ball. He's hitting the ball really hard. And a couple Nick of tweaks to his approach. Nick Castellanos. A couple of tweaks to the approach. A little more growth. That's a guy. Give up a, a whole slew of, of veterans. And plug a lot of holes for somebody, get that one player you want back, and make it a player and not a prospect. And and, yep. and that's the kind of trade I would do. It, it sounds like it, you know I'm saying buy low on a player, and then you can roll your eyes at that. But you can also say no, it's not really buy low if I give if I give up a ton. <laughs> you know, it's like buy. <laughs> so, it's just, yeah, it's
0: just a flat buy. Yeah. And, and, I, and overpay, I really overpay. There is
1: no overpaying in keeper leagues when it comes to getting what you want and and getting a keeper uh so in this case i did i gave him a ton of value across the board and hopefully he goes out and wins the league and for that he has to go take a step down from trout to judge so sounds good
0: i really i really like it you know uh and i hope that trade works out for you and and for your trade partner why not let's get a win-win deal on the board there uh you know that's going to wrap us up i hope you have a great time in southern california maybe we'll randomly run into each other how fun would that be
1: or less than randomly We can check it out check our schedules out
0: okay well, I, I I'll be there. You'll be there. And uh, have a great weekend.
1: All right, Oh, man. and happy
0: birthday. Happy birthday, by the way. Happy oh, yeah. Birthday.
1: They're really exciting when you get this old.
0: Yeah, they they're, they're just really start to feel it when it's like,
1: oh, I'm 34. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm just going to lie. All right. I'm 21. Have a great weekend. You finally Enjoy drink. your
0: 21st birthday. <laughs> and don't drink too many beers. I'll talk to you later. Thanks now.
1: for listening.